morning. Uh, so my name is JT. I am the guy in the bullpen today getting the nod yesterday. Uh, so I'm, uh, do, I do construction, and I did about an eight-hour day outside yesterday, and about halfway through the day, Daniel said, uh, man, I'm, I'm too sick, you're on, and I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, by the grace of Jesus Christ that uh, uh, I get the privilege to even be here, and uh, so give me a lot of grace as we uh, walk through this together, but uh, uh, Jen, like this morning before services started, Jen led us in prayer, and it was beautiful. And something that she really just said to me that stirred my heart is that we are just sick of this uh, sickness. We're just sick of sickness. And it's all around us. And, in fact, it's uh, all over uh, Pastor uh, Daniel and his family. And uh, there's probably people at home who are watching who are sick and uh it's just crazy. I work at, I'm a hospice chaplain, and so uh, I've been uh, around people sick, and we're trying to figure out how to maneuver through all that and get into homes. And it's just a bit overwhelming. And so um, as a hospice chaplain, one of the things that I've just sort of kind of over um, a while been praying is three different passages of Scripture. And I just, I really felt led when Jen said that, and uh, I just felt like the Spirit said, hey, take a moment in the beginning of both services to lead uh, everyone in prayer. But I want to I do this for two reasons. One, I, I purely want to pray. But second one is I want to give you some resources for you to use to pray for yourself and pray for others. And so I'll just tell you real quickly what we're going to pray over. We're going to pray over Genesis 2-7. We're going to pray over Ezekiel 37. And then we're going to pray over John chapter 20, uh, verse 19. Uh, Genesis 2-7, Ezekiel 37, and John chapter 20, verse 19. And you'll see why as we pray together. So if you know somebody who is dealing with the cold, the flu, the COVID right now, uh, just lift them up in prayer. But I just, I think as a body and as a community of believers, I think we should just start this time off just breathing, all right? And that's what the, the focus of this prayer time is. It's, it's upon the, the breath of God. So let's pray together. Dear Father, we come before you creator of all things you spoke us into being like we exist today because you said i want them to exist you you have a purpose for us we are your children like we are your children and uh we we bask in the beauty of your love but lord we find ourselves tired and worn out mentally emotionally physically spiritually we're we are just worn out, this uh, sickness and, and just the, the, the complexity of where we find ourselves right now, Lord. We just ask that you would just remind us of your faithfulness to us and that we are encouraging and lifting up others. And so, first of all, Lord, we just pray uh, your breath. We, this is our focus, Lord, that you just breathe on us. And in Genesis 2-7, it says that you form man out of dirt. But he did not become a living being until you breathed into his nostrils. And so, Lord, those who are sick right now that we know, Lord, would you just breathe into them your breath, your power, your sustaining grace and mercy. Oh, they, and we're, we're even praying in faith right now that they sense it even now, like something strange is happening. And we are asking, Lord, that you just breathe into them. 
Ezekiel 37 is this, this army is defeated and left out in this valley and they just rot and they're just bones. And then you took your servant Ezekiel out to the valley and you prophesied over him and you said, hey, can these bones come back to life? And of course, Ezekiel's wise and saying, only you know, Lord. And then eventually you brought the bones together and you covered them, but they did not become alive until you breathed on them. And then they stood up like a vast army. And so some of us right now, even with sickness, just we feel like we're just dead. And Lord, the power of your breath, we ask that you would just breathe upon these individuals. Lord, breathe upon us and help us to become like a vast army. And in John chapter 20, Lord, uh, your disciples are hiding out. They're, they are scared about what has just happened. You, Jesus, your body was broken and beaten and defeated. Death was your story on the cross. And they took you off the cross and they placed you in a tomb. And voila, you're alive. And the disciples are scared. And you came and you stood in the midst of them. And you said, peace be with you. You said it twice, peace be with you. There are some of us here today, we are scared. We are hiding out. We are overwhelmed. And yet, you stand in our midst. You enter into our story and you say, peace be with you. And then in verse 19, it says, and then you breathed on them. Lord, there's power in your breath. Whatever you breathe on, something happens. And so we're asking you to breathe on Pastor Daniel and his family, that you breathe on those who are struggling, that you breathe on family members and friends of family members here today, that you would just breathe on them and that they sense your power and your peace and your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Amen. So Genesis 2-7, Ezekiel 37 and John chapter 20, good prayers to uh, be praying through this uh, pandemic. So uh, isn't, it, isn't it sort of fun when you um, meet somebody for the first time and it doesn't go well? Like, uh, I love those moments, really fun for me. Um, and so now, this is back in the spring of 2009. I was interviewing for a job in a church in Cape Girardeau. Uh, Daniel Taylor was the executive pastor and so I had never met Daniel. And so uh, I decided, or he did, he said, hey, let's, we need to find a time to talk on the phone, and I want to ask you some questions on the phone. And I said, sure. Now, the church I was at wasn't aware of any of this, and, and I get nervous when people are around, and I'm trying to answer some deep questions. So I just decided I'm going to drive into Springfield, Illinois, go to Barnes & Noble, and sit in a chair. That's back pre-COVID days when you could sit. But um, anyway, so I'm at Barnes with a, a, a nice latte, and he calls. Have you ever talked to Daniel on the phone? <laughs> and so, so here's my interview process with Daniel Taylor. And I mean, he's asking questions that I don't even, it doesn't make any sense. Like, hey, what's your view on Christology? And I'm like, I don't even know what that word means. Like, let me look it up real quick. Hold on. And, uh, and so then, his, no body language like on the other, you know, some people have great body language. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they're probably not even paying attention. But they're good at really saying so that you feel like you're being heard. Nothing from Daniel. Like, I give him a, a response and nothing. And I'm like, oh. Man, 
Um, hey, I'm not done yet. Let me, can I give you a different view? And I like give him an opposite view of that view and, and still get nothing. And so um, the funny thing is, as soon as that conversation's over with, I seriously was like, I never want to have another conversation with that guy ever again. All right. I mean, I was so stressed that there was a lady at Barnes and Noble walking around every five minutes, wiping off my brow, like cut me, Mick. I felt like I was uh, Rocky Balboa. So uh, I say that to go. And here I am, January of 2022. And I have to say, I can't imagine my life without Pastor Daniel. Isn't it funny how life works like that? And uh, I share that as an honor to him. He has been with me in some of my darkest seasons. And one of the things I find interesting about my friendship with Pastor Daniel is our ebb and flow. Like, when he's in a bad place, I seem to be in a good place. And it's like he can borrow my faith to get through that season. And then it seems like when I'm in a bad season, he's in a good season, and I borrow his faith to get me through that season. So Lord have mercy if we both end up in a bad season at the same time. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I'm even standing here. The fact that Daniel Taylor would entrust me at the last minute to come, the joke's on him. And so, um, but here I am because of my friendship and because other reason is because you are my church family. Like, you have become one of my own and, and you have treated me like one of your own. And so uh, I'm here because of Daniel and I'm also here because of you. And lastly, I'm here because I want to share a word. So... Just like Daniel, like my first time at Daniel, I'm like, if I never talk to this guy ever again, I'll be happy. Fast forward, and I, now I'm like, man, I love this guy. That was my approach to Paul. Now, um, I grew up in a church, like we were that kind of family that the doors were open, we were present, and I hated it. Like I, there was not one moment in my life growing up where I'm like, this is awesome. No, it was just, it was hard. It was, it was just a tough season. Now, what's unique this is weird, and I've, I've done a lot of reflecting over this. And, and what's unique is, but for some reason, even as a young boy, I've always had this, like, sacred view of the scriptures. And I just, I, I, I thank God for it, because clearly it was him that kind of put that inside of me. But I've always, and even when I wasn't a believer, like, my, my high school days were bad, like, really bad. And yet, periodically, throughout high school, I would, I would just pick up my Bible, and just read a couple verses, and it was weird, like, and so I've always just had a sacred view of the scriptures, and then in, uh, at 19, I finally just said, man, my life, I'm, I'm tired of driving my vehicle, because I'm, I keep driving my vehicle in bad spots, and uh, clearly I'm not a good driver, so I need to release, release uh, my control, and, and I'm going to try to I'm going to try to trust Jesus. I don't know what this is like. I'm going to jump in and see if Jesus can't do something with this and stand here before you uh, all these years later and Jesus is still driving my vehicle. And I praise the Lord for that. But I, I remember when at the age of 19, I said, I want to be committed to the word. I don't know why. It was that thing that I had when I was a kid. So I, I just, I never wanted to depart from this. And so what's funny is I remember this like yesterday. So as I begin to journey through scripture, I'm, I'm loving it. Like it's, and then I get to the writings of Paul. Okay. And all of a sudden I go, I don't, I don't like this guy, which is a major problem because he wrote majority of the new Testament. And so if I have a conflict issue with Paul, then I am in some serious trouble. But, and I even last night, as I was trying to put some thoughts together, I was sitting there going, why? And I can't even really figure out why, but I'm sitting there going, I don't like Paul. I don't know why. 
And so, um, in 1995, I, I became a Christian in 95. And not too long after that, I went to Lincoln Christian University. And one of my professors says, uh, if you want to be successful, be a learner. Uh, be a reader. I didn't even crack a book in high school. I think my high school teachers were like, we are done with you. You move on. We're going to let somebody else have a try. And they all kept going, we don't. And they let me out of high school with a, with a degree. So uh, it worked. Uh, and so uh, I never cracked a book. I was dumb. But anyway, long story short, I'm at college. And, and my, this professor that I really like, I was like, I want to take this to heart. And so I don't know how, but I started buying books. And one of the first books I bought was David which was written by Chuck Swindoll. Swindoll was one of my favorite preachers back in the late 90s. Anyway, he, he's got this biographical series that is bar none. It's, it's one of the most amazing things ever. And Ben and I have been going through that until I kind of went on a hibernation trip. And Ben's like, what's going on? Like, and and it, it was so good. I remember going on the east side of the chapel after classes all by myself and sitting in the sunlight behind the bushes. Nobody could see me. And I'm just enamored with David and I'm just like and that's how in fact when people ask me like your passion for scripture where did it start it really started through character study like learning about characters and really opened my eyes to scripture and now I just I I love it and so what happens then is is Swindoll comes out with David and then Esther I didn't know anything about Esther so I'm like hey Esther was excellent and then the third book was Joseph and then the fourth book was Elijah fifth Moses I'm like I'm loving this volume six guess who Paul and now all of a sudden I'm in a crossroad myself going, do I stay faithful to this series that I has changed my life or do I veer off because I do not want to read about Paul? Is that crazy? What the heck? And this is in 2002. And so I finally was like, man, I love this series so much. It's had so much impact in my life. I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in and read Paul. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did. Because like Daniel, you know, like I, I'd be happy if I never have the conversation with this guy ever again to 2022. And so I stand before you now going, I cannot imagine my life without Apostle Paul. I mean, yeah. And so this message, I'm going to tell you up front, message is a, a, a little bit intense. Okay. And all I'm going to do this morning is simply this. I'm going to tell you where I'm at. So uh, I'm going to preach to myself because this is where I feel like the Lord is leading me and you guys are just here for the next 20 minutes to listen in, okay? That's a bummer deal for you, but that's the way it's going to be because this is a journey. So I, I, Daniel and I talked early in the week and he was already feeling pretty rough. He said, just keep something in mind. And I already had it, like, it, it was like, voila, I'm like, I'm, I'm good, I'm good to go. And then Friday he's like, I think I'm okay, I think I'm okay. But then it's one of those deals where it's like, for the safety of the people, I need to, yesterday he's like, I just need to back out, you go with it. So I go back to that original message and it's not there. Like, it's just, and I'm like, well, what do you want me to do now? And it's like the Lord said, Share with the people where you're at. What's going on inside of you? And it's intense. It, I, it's intense. And I want to share that with you. But uh, a friend of mine said to me be t- before the service, um, Grace, this whole message, what's going on within me, what's over you, is nothing but Grace. Do you understand that? Like, we are only in this place right now because of the grace of Jesus Christ. 
We deserve death. The wages of sin is death. That's exactly what we deserve. But the gift of Christ Jesus is eternal life. And he's extended that to each and every one of us. So no matter where you are on this journey, and this intensity of what's going on within me, it's absolutely 100% covered in grace. In fact, he writes to the letter in Rome. Like, if you came to me and said, what one book in the Bible do you know least? And I say, Romans. I, I don't know why. but every, And that may be my, my, my friction with Paul way back in the days. Like, Romans just makes me want to take a nap. Like, I'm a simple-minded person, and I get all kind of like justification, glorification, sanctification. What are you talking about? And, and, so, um, and so my small group on Sunday night said, hey, uh, we, we just got done with Isaiah, which, by the way, Paul is a modern-day Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah, the Lord comes to Isaiah and says, we are going to expand this, like Gentiles. Like Isaiah was given that message way back 700 years before Jesus. And so Paul's the modern-day Isaiah. I think if Paul was here, he'd say, we're going to preach on Isaiah because I love Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah just flowed through Paul. And so Paul uh, is the modern-day Isaiah. And Paul's mission, which we will get to here in a second, is people. <laughs> uh, doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, slave, woman, child, people. Okay? And so, um, but what, what has intrigued me and where I'm at right now in this journey is a, a conversation that Paul had with believers. It's, it's pretty remarkable. And so that's what we're going to do. And so we're going to go on a quick journey here this morning. And I think at least application, because I don't know where this is going to land, honestly, but application-wise, I think we really need to make a rededication to ourselves and to the Lord that we are hearing from him. We are emotionally and, and mentally worn out. I mean, the news changes every day. And we're, we're trying to do the best we can to be good citizens. I mean, Romans 13 is all about being uh, under, the, uh, under the authority of the government. And the government doesn't know what's going on. And so then constantly we're, we're finding ourselves going, yeah, nope, nope, uh, yep, nope, nope. And over time, guess what that begins to do to our mental and men, uh, emotional side? It just, we're tired. I'm tired. And so the reality is, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, friends, we will then begin to listen to voices and our ears will hear what our itching ears want to hear. And we'll hear voices out there that we kind of tend to agree with. And that's the direction we go. And all of a sudden we find ourselves so far off the path. And so I'm telling you, I think one of the things that reminds me of this message is we have to stay connected to the word of God. Like we have to expose ourselves to what is true. And that's the whole beauty of this pandemic is it has at least shown us what's not true. It has at least shown us what's not comfortable and what is not security. And it should be that way. You know why? Because Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is our security. Jesus is the truth. And that is being played out even with this pandemic, whether we like it or not. We don't like it. <laughs> but the second thing I think we need to be reminded of is our mission. These are horrible times. These are horrible times, friends. But these are also beautiful moments for us to press in and remind people what matters. 
People are more desperate than they ever have been. And they are more open to hearing about the message of Jesus Christ more than ever. And I think the Lord has set us up to be successful. But we have to rededicate ourselves to some of the things that are most critical. And that is the message that is kind of happening within me. And, and that's what I want to just share with you just for a few moments. And I love Apostle Paul. I cannot imagine my life without Paul. Like, I, I'm exposed to Paul uh, almost every day. Like, David's been my best friend since 1995. But, hey, 2002, I make way for Paul. Paul's in my life now. Hey, I'm in pretty good shape. I got David and Paul. And Jesus, like, driving this whole thing. I'm like, hey, let's go. And I think that's the reason why I'm in this season that I'm in. Okay. Um, and I wanted to just share that with you. But I love Apostle Paul. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one is, at one point, he was an evil man. Like, uh, I can dig that. Because <laughs> I'm a sinner too. And, and, and Paul was actually, like, Paul was excited that he was going to cities to stop the spread of Christianity. Like, he's on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 8, giddy. Because he was just involved in the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And the, the zealous leaders, the religious leaders, the Pharisees around him were excited. And Paul was kind of feeding off of them going, hey, this is, this is fun. I'm being embraced. So he was actually giddy to go to Damascus to stop the process of Christianity spreading. Except for that day, Jesus said, I've had enough. And so resurrected Jesus bumped into Paul and took away his sight. We cannot even imagine losing our sight. Man, we've lost our minds with losing our taste and our smell. Like my poor son lost his a while back. I mean, mentally, the challenges. Because he's like, All right. he, he gets frustrated because he's like, I can't taste it. And I'm like, it's serious. It, it just plays with our heads. Could you imagine being blind all of a sudden? And so here's Paul, completely blind, just kind of hanging out, right? He's, you know, just quiet, blind, like what in the world's going on? In the meantime, what's happening behind the scenes is that the Lord shows up to a man by the name of Ananias. This is in chapter 9. And says to Ananias, hey, I need you to do me a favor. Uh, there's a man named Paul down on, I love this, down on Straight Street. I love the name of that street, Straight Street. And so I need you to go down to Straight Street. And I want you to find Paul. And I want you to lay your hands on him. I want you to pray over him. And I love uh, Ananias at this moment. Ananias is like, Jesus, you... You know who we're talking about? As if Jesus is going, maybe I don't. Like, oops, I messed up, wrong person. No, don't go to Paul. No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He says, Ananias, go down, because I have chosen Paul to be my instrument. And I will use him. But here's chapter 9, verse 16. Listen to this. This is, this is what's going on with, within me. Verse 16 says, as, as the Lord is speaking to Ananias, he says, and I will show him what he will suffer on my account. No thanks. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sign up for that. I will tell Paul, through you, Ananias, what he will suffer on my account. Now, 
So here's what's tricky about Acts. We read through the book of Acts and we sort of kind of think that Paul's converted into Christianity and then immediately he's on the mission field. But that's simply not true. And so when we take Galatians chapter 1 and we take that testimony and we sort of kind of take it and kind of pop it back into Acts, what happens is after he's converted, he's actually led by the Spirit into the desert of Arabia for three years. Right there in Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, 11, 12, a couple of those verses. All right? Like Jesus. Remember what happened to Jesus after he's baptized? It says the Spirit led him into the wilderness and he was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. There's a process that has to happen in order for the mission to be fulfilled, even with Jesus. Okay? So here's Paul, now in Arabia for three years. Took a lot longer with Paul than it did Jesus. Makes sense. And one of my favorite jokes is what happens in Arabia stays in Arabia because there's nowhere in scripture whatsoever. I have searched high and low and trying to figure out, oh, I would love to know what happened in Arabia. Oh, if I could just, nothing. Paul shares nothing. Now, I'm going to take a risk, but I feel pretty confident about it. But I think there's two things that are communicated to Paul in Damascus. And one of them we've already looked at, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. I think what happens in Arabia is that Jesus tells Paul what he will suffer on account of Jesus. As if, and I don't think it's even a choice. Like, how do you feel about that, Paul? Paul's like, I did not sign up for that, so I'm out. Go get somebody else. No, Jesus says, I've chosen you. I think when Paul discovers the grace, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the goodness, the overwhelming power of the love of Jesus, Paul's in. Paul's in. And I think the, sec- the second thing that happens in Arabia is that the Lord lays out to Paul the mission. And you know what the mission is, right? People. Specifically, lost People, this is your mission, Paul. It's not just the Jews. It's not just the Gentiles. It's all nations. As far as we can imagine, this is your mission. These people need to know about my love, my grace, my mercy, my kindness, my absolutely uh, uh, crazy love for them. They need someone to tell them. That's why Paul says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so, in Arabia, what I at least can say, based off of scripture, not just from my own thoughts, is I think he shares with him the true mission. And Paul is not a fool. Paul's like, man, I just got in on this story, and it has absolutely changed my life. So, yes, Jesus, I'm in. Let's go. And Jesus says, now, hold on, hold on. I love it. That's why I chose you. You're zealous. You're passionate. You're crazy. Love, love the crazy, Paul. But hold on, before I send you, you're going to suffer. You're, you're going to suffer hard, bud. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, I, I, my mind was all over the place, first service. I think first service people left going, we got short change, man. Acts 14, 22. So the context is, Paul and Barnabas now are on a mission trip, and they're going into cities, and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the mission, just plain and simple. And you know how it works. You could do it today. Just go on mission this week and just declare the name of Jesus wherever you're at and just see how that goes, okay? 
Hey, some people, one of the things I'm, I'm, and I'm telling you, this is why I think this message is on my heart specifically. I am not being as refused as I normally think that I would. I'm just telling you, I'm leaning into some crazy people and basically thinking, oh, they're rejected. And I'm not being rejected. It's kind of crazy. But if you go this way, you just understand, <laughs> you might get popped. I mean, I, I, we're crazy people right now in a crazy situation. But I think what a great opportunity for us to declare Jesus more than ever. But listen to what he said. So Paul and Silas are going to communities. All right. Boom. Well, boom. Sharing the gospel. Boom. Sharing the gospel. And here's what he says in Acts 14.22. Early on, he says these words. He says, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders of every church. With prayer and fasting, they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. That's verse 23. That's not what I wanted to read. And it says this. Let's go back to 21. After preaching the good news in Derbe and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. To enter? I thought just embrace Jesus and I'm good. Yes. But to live and walk and, and, and declare the gospel of Jesus like Jesus wants us to will bring tribulations. You know what's interesting? What I love about Paul is I think Paul learned the importance of being willing to suffer the same way Jesus suffered. And I think today what's going on in my heart, uh, kind of, it's kind of like the Lord's challenging me to step up another notch, but I want to share it with you because I think it's the same reality for you and I, but we must be willing to suffer the same way that Jesus Christ suffered. That's part of following Jesus. Take up the cross, follow me, deny yourself. Those are not easy words. We, we sort of kind of let those words just kind of roll off. No. Those are significant, powerful words. That means you're done. And he's in. John 3.30. I think John the Baptist. Brilliant words. When John the Baptist declared out loud. I must decrease. And he must increase. And that's what we're called to today. Nothing has changed. And that's why I love Paul, because Paul's even reminding me the same mission that Jesus was called on, Paul's called on. Like, Jesus had to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the people in Jerusalem. Paul was called to go to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the people in Jerusalem. You and I are called to go into Jerusalem today. But if he's calling us to do so, he's also resourcing us and gifting us to do so. Not going not gonna to say, go to Jerusalem and suffer. I'll catch up with you later. Good luck, buddy. No, no, no. The reality is, he's already been there. You know, when, when Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas go to these towns, and they share the gospel, the reality is, Jesus was already there, preparing the way. And if he's calling us to go to Jerusalem then I assure you, based off of scripture, he's already been there and he's already prepared a way. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so here's what happens, because I, I really need to get going here. <laughs> I haven't even gotten to the part yet. All right. And so here's what happens. So um, I like. 
So I'm studying Romans right now, just on my own personal journey in our small group on Sunday nights going through it. And I'm just overwhelmed with Romans. One book in the Bible, if you ask me, one book that you do not understand, it's Romans. Like, I, I don't. So when my small group said, let's do Romans, I'm like, gosh, can we do Jude or something? Like, um, and so, so I'm digging in. I'm like, I, I want to get into the soil. I want to know the context. I want to feel it. I want to taste it. I want to smell it. And so I'm digging in. And now all of a sudden in three weeks, three weeks, I'm just blown away with Rome or Romans. And the, the, the reality was I never even like, hello, McFly. Like I never even took the time to consider how the church in Rome started. Have you? Like, we just assume that Paul started the church in Rome. Like, he started the church in Galatia, started the church in Corinth. Like, he must have started the church in Rome. Except for the fact that when you read Romans, you read that he's never been to Rome. Well, if he's never been to Rome, then how on earth would he start a church? So then you start kind of thinking, well, maybe Peter did. But it's interesting in Romans 15, Paul says, I never ever build on someone else's foundation. So, so if Dustin is doing a ministry in Fenton and I trust him and I, I want to encourage him and support him, then I'm not going to come and try to build on top of his foundation. I'm going to bless him and his efforts and I'm going to go somewhere else where there's lost people. That's beautiful, right? And so Paul's saying that. So if Paul, if that's true about Paul, then that means Peter didn't start the church in Rome because Paul wouldn't be stepping in on this and we would be reading the letters of Roman by Peter, not Paul. So now the question is, who started the church in Rome? And so to the best of my ability, and I love it, you know those moments when you're giddy? Like you're giddy, you're like, oh my gosh, this is such a beautiful moment. I had that moment because here's how the church in Rome started. It's brilliant. So in Acts chapter 2, Okay, you have a bunch, you have a list of names of cities, and I know what you do when you come to those cities. You just kind of go, I'm going to bypass those and get to the good meat, all right? And so you miss this. But if you look at those cities, and you actually take the time to look on a map and actually find them and look at the distance, what you'll find is Rome is about 1,500 miles from Jerusalem. The furthest, like in the list of cities of people present in Jerusalem on the day of Passover, Rome is the furthest. So who were those suckers who had to go, all right, this is going to be like a seven-month commitment to get down to Jerusalem for Passover, and I'm not even really sure I want to go, right? And so they travel all the way down to to Jerusalem for Passover, and what happens in Acts chapter 2? Pentecost. Oh, this is good stuff right here, friends. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, boom! Pow, falls on the people. And guess who's, who it receives the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ? These knuckleheads from Rome who just thought, we're just going to go down and celebrate the Passover. Let's get it over with. Now, now they have received the gospel of Jesus Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit that they're like sprinting to get back to Rome. And that's where I think the church in Rome started with a bunch of people who just made that trip and back up. And once they get back to Rome, they're like, we got to tell you about Jesus we got to tell you about Jesus. And do you know what they're up against? Have you ever taken the time to look at the Roman Empire at this time? And Roman Empire hates Christians. And so for these few people, I don't know how many. It doesn't say they're just from Rome. How many of these people? But regardless, they are overwhelmed. They go back to Rome. They start telling people about Jesus. And the church in Rome is spreading. And this house churches, by the way. Um, and so when Paul writes a letter to Romans, he's writing these letters. They have to be sent to these house churches that are meeting Romans 16 will show you some of that. That's how the church starts. Isn't that awesome? 
It's so cool. So, so Paul has met some of these people from Rome. He's heard about some of these people. And some of these people he's not really sure of. But he, like, wants to get to Rome. Like, if you could just sit down with Paul towards the end of his ministry and say, what do you really desire, Paul? Paul's like, I'll tell you exactly what I desire. I want to go hang out with my people in Rome. But guess what happens? He never gets there. In fact, the only time he gets to Rome is not under his power, but it's under the power of the religious Roman emperors and people. He goes to Rome, not on his own accord, but his desire was to get to Rome, to be with his people. So he sends the letter to Romans. Romans 16 makes you cry if you just really, t- again, it's a list of names. You know what we do with names, just like we do cities. Like, ah, I don't know these people, so I'm going to move on. But I'm telling you, the list of names in Romans 16, oh, when you begin to press in and learn their stories, the significant role that they played in the life of Paul is overwhelming. And you get this sense of Paul going, I just want to be with them. Just want to be with them. And so, anyway, long story short, he's called to go to Jerusalem. And he's happy to go. And the reason why he's happy to go is because churches in the community have taken an offering and have said, hey, we want you to take this offering that our churches, our believers have raised because we want you to take this offering into Jerusalem for two purposes. Number one is we want you to be an encouragement to the believers in Jerusalem. Do you know what one of our missions is today, regardless, is that you and I are encouragement to other people. Hebrews 3.13 says that we are to encourage today while it's still today so that sin doesn't easily entangle and disharden anyone's heart. The reality is everyone in this room, you, I, sin is crouching outside our door, Genesis 4-7, and it desires to devour us. And the Lord says, you, but you must learn to master it. And you know how we master it? Encouragement. When you and I encourage each other today while it's still called today, then we have the opportunity to kick sin in the face. And you know what encouragement cost us? You ready for this? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Isn't anyone in here? I don't know what I'm gifted at. I can tell you one thing that you are gifted at. You can be an encouragement to somebody today. And what's funny is you may not know it, but that person may leave going, I needed that today. And what did it cost you? Nothing. And you kind of go on with your day like nothing happened. What? And so the, the churches are like, Paul, go to Jerusalem. Encouragement. But we're also giving you this gift because we want you to go to Jerusalem and share the gospel. Because you're good at it, Paul. You have a passion for it. So here's some resources. Go. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, you're going to trust me. I'm not going to get into the scripture time, but you're going to trust me. Romans 15, Romans 9, Acts 20, 24, Acts 21, it's all there. But what happens is, as he's preparing for Jerusalem, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him and says, but you will suffer in Jerusalem. Here's where this gets interesting. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 21. I'm, I'm going to read it. I just need to. Just, I need a breather too. I'm just a bullpen guy. I'm not supposed to go this long. Acts chapter 21. And it says this. So Paul knows that he's going into Jerusalem. He's going to suffer. 
He shares some of this. This isn't just companions. We are talking intimate friendships with people that he's done life with. Like he has cried with them. He's laughed with them. He's suffered with them. So significant people. Here's, here's what happens when they find out that he's going to Jerusalem. It says this. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. And he came over and he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands with it, and then said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt, Paul, be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. And when we, we, his intimate friends, heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. What do you do with that? What do you do when the Spirit has led you to go to Jerusalem and you share and your friends who do life with you are going, you're an idiot. The best advice I can give you, one of my favorite quotes, Robert Murray McShane says this. He says, for every look at self, take ten looks at Christ. For every look at self, Take 10 looks at Christ. Listen, the Lord has established people in our lives, community, and they have voices, and the Lord uses those voices in our lives to help us. But I want to emphasize the final authority still at the end of the day is Scripture. It's Scripture. And you know, sometimes in my own personal life, I knew that I was supposed to do something, and I actually got talked out of doing that something because of a voice of a human being that I respect and appreciate spoke something different to me. And I'm, please listen, it takes a lot of discernment and a lot of grace through this, but what I needed to do in that moment was receive that and look to Jesus 10 more times. But instead, we have a tendency to hear voices 10 times and look at Jesus once. And I'm guilty of that. And so Paul is in this dilemma and it's like, and, and you know what he says? A death threat is not going to deter me from sharing the gospel, from being encouragement to my brothers and sisters. Threaten me all you want to. I have a message. And that message is the same as it always has been. And Jesus hasn't pulled the carpet from underneath my feet. Like, he hasn't surprised me. He told me early on, like, my first day of conversion, I'm hanging out with Jesus in this desert. And Jesus looked at me and said, I want you to do this. And I said, Jesus, I would do anything for you because you have saved me. You have redeemed me. And I I love you. And I've tasted and seen that you are good. What do you want me to do? He goes, I want you to share the gospel to all people. And Paul's like, I'm on it. And Jesus says, and you will die for it. Time out. (laughs) Friends, this is what's in my heart, and I want to share it with you. It's the exact same truth today. This is where we're at today. Jesus hasn't changed. Like He's like, I'm just going to let you, 2022 people, I'm going to let you off the hook. All right? You've had a tough time. I get it. You're off the hook. Just relax. No. The mission is the same. The consequences of following Jesus' consequences are probably not a good word. What awaits us for following Jesus is legit. But if Paul could come back today, he'd say, 
It was awesome. It was awesome. It was worth it. In fact, listen, listen to these few words as I finish up. And if the band wants to go ahead and make their way up, I don't think I need to say anything else. So Acts 20, I want to share just a couple verses with you. Acts 20, uh, these are, listen to these words wholeheartedly. Acts 20, verse 22 through 24 says this. And I now am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And I don't know what awaits me. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by Assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. My life is nothing unless I can accomplish this task that he has given me. And what's that task, people? People. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That hasn't changed, and it never will change. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. So popular. I should have it memorized. I'm kind of, uh, I don't, but 220 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. Have you been crucified with Christ? I, I hope the answer is yes. Well, if I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if he has given himself for me, then who am I to not give myself for him? Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, Colossians? I want Philippians. My eyesight's going bad, too. That's the other fun part. Verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable. I mean, Paul's got this amazing list of things that he's achieved. He's, he's legit. Like, he's done some amazing things even before Jesus. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. Or other translation says rubbish. I love the word rubbish. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through the obeying of the law. Rather, I become righteous through the faith in Christ Jesus. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. So that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says these words before he dies. Could you imagine what he would say today if he could come back? I can't. <laughs> it would be too overwhelming. Is it hard? Jesus said, if there's another way, not my will, your will be done. I think Paul probably had moments where he's like, Jesus, another way? And we're going to have seasons in our lives where we'll find ourselves going, is there another way? And the answer is, follow Jesus. Look to Jesus 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorn and shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So then the next part says, when you and I are going through our trials, two words, consider him. 
Consider Jesus. One look of me, ten looks to Jesus. That's how we do this. And he has resourced us, and he is ahead of us, and he will be successful. Not us. Not us. His kingdom will prosper. But you and I, let's carry out the mission and understand what awaits us. Dear Father, we come before you, and you, Lord, have spoken to us through your word. And Lord, you have challenged me specifically to rise up. And maybe you've even stirred the hearts of my family members here this morning. Lord, you have called us. The mission is still the same and it will always be the same. I pray we have no fear. No fear. No fear. Love cast out all fear. And so I pray, Lord, that we just, even this morning, we rededicate ourselves to your mission. People in our world right now are suffering and, and falling apart. And they are looking for hope. And I'll be darned if we don't have it. We have it. And you have set us up to go. You are before us. And we have nothing to fear. Man, may we just rise up with courage. Oh, do not be afraid, but be courageous. May we go. And Lord, there may be somebody in this room this morning who just understands for the first time in their life, really understand, wow, Jesus really has saved me. And not only has he saved me, but he, he really has a purpose for me. Like he really, he really has a purpose. And I've just never, ever surrendered to that. So Lord, I just feel like you're moving in my heart right now. And, and if that's true and you want to embrace Jesus for the first time in your life, just for the sake of encouragement, just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want, I want to embrace Jesus. I want what Jesus has. Thank you so much. Lord, we cannot and will not succeed without you. Just like the, the branch from the, the vine from the branch, the branch from the vine, we just, nothing is possible apart from you. We can't succeed. And we shouldn't succeed. But connected to you, Oh, fruit will continue to flourish till you come. And it can start right here, right now, in this room with these people and with me. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.